Well, hey, Cross Point, I have absolutely loved this series with you, Neighbors and Nations, and it has been such a timely reminder of how we as a church are called to live with love and acceptance in a world that can feel so divided. It also feels like we're being reminded of our call as a church to make a difference in the world, both locally and globally, uh, for the gospel by communicating and demonstrating the love of Christ. And if you were around last week, well, you know that we talked about uh, one way that we can do this as a church is through our end of year giving. And uh, all year long, we devote 10% of all the giving that we receive in tithes and offerings to meet needs outside of our doors, to make a difference in our communities through our local and global partners. However, in December, um, as with last year, we, uh, we wanna double that impact. And so 20% of all that's received goes towards some new initiatives that we believe God is leading us toward. We're looking at four key opportunities. So first, we wanna come alongside Both Hands, a ministry that is focused on orphans and widows, uh, raising funds for adoptions by repairing widows' homes. And uh, we think that is a, uh, it's a beautiful model of ministry. And we wanna come alongside them because biblically you see this thread of compassion throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament to care for widows and the fatherless. And, uh, and we've got a great opportunity to help come alongside both hands in a significant way. Second is Convoy of Hope. Now Convoy of Hope is one of our global ministry partners and they have presented us with, with a new initiative, a new opportunity in West Africa. It's in a closed country where Christians are being persecuted for their faith and, uh, and there aren't many believers there. We have an opportunity to create a sustainable feeding center in a school for kids. It'll provide healthy meals for children. And, uh, and for many of these kids, these will be the only two meals that they have every single day. In addition to that, in this community, we also have an opportunity to start a program in this region that, that will help 320 women um, start businesses through microenterprise, and, uh, and which has been proven to be uh, the most effective way to break the poverty cycle. The third initiative is that we have an opportunity to reach more women at the Nashville Prison for Women, also called, um, known now as the Deborah K. Johnson Rehabilitation Center. So every week, we have a campus that meets behind bars, ladies um, who gather together, pastor and volunteers who go in, and uh, and they, they worship together and through teaching and prayer. Through this initiative, we have an opportunity to launch a brand new service in the maximum security area. So where um, these women are only able to leave their cell uh, one hour a day, and, uh, and they'll be watching through an eight by eight uh, window in the door, an opportunity for them to receive a message of hope. And then along with this, um, we feel led to support Pando. This is an amazing organization that, that curates uh, faith-building content. I want you to imagine uh, Netflix for God Behind Bar services and, and is able to get them to inmates in prisons all throughout the country and it's on these tablets that these inmates can encounter the truth of the gospel. And we have an opportunity to come behind Pando and support them in this mission. And we've heard amazing stories of what God's been doing behind bars through this. And we want to sponsor 4,000 more tablets. Now for us to do all of the things that I've shared with you, uh, it's gonna require that we raise at least $525,000, which is a really big number, but we believe we have a big God. And we believe that with Jesus, anything's possible. But we've been reminded in this series how we can make this difference locally and globally. And, and today, I'm excited to get to, get to announce that we're going to get to hear from someone um, inside the house. We're going to hear from our very own Dixon Campus pastor, James Savage. And, and if you know James, well, you know that he is a gifted pastor. Like he has this huge heart for people, and he brings joy and a smile to every room that he's in. 
And, and I wanna encourage you to, to lean in. I know God wants to use Pastor James to, to speak to our hearts and to challenge us and to encourage us. James has this contagious passion for Jesus and he has a way of, of bringing the Word of God to life. And so let's give a warm cross point welcome to Pastor James Savage. Well, I'm honored to be here and to close out this series with you. I want to tell you that when I was in third grade, I learned some important life lessons, like I learned what it felt like to have a crush for the first time. Y'all remember that feeling, an elementary school crush? Like you don't know what you're feeling or why you're feeling it, but you know that you're feeling it. All year, I longed to make the girl on the other side of the classroom my girlfriend, but I didn't have the courage until the last day of school. During field day, I was standing face to face with her after the tug of war, surrounded by her friends and my friends. And with my heart racing and my palms sweating, I looked into her eyes and I asked her the question, will you go out with me? I'm in third grade. I don't know what that meant. I don't have a car, but that's the language that I had. I said, will you? There he is. That guy said, will you go out with me? And y'all, I remember the smile that came over her face and the laughter that came out of her mouth when she said, no, why would I ever wanna go out with you? And off she ran with her friends as that kid stood there devastated. In third grade, I also learned a lot about the feeling of rejection. And guess what I learned? It really hurts. Yeah, we've talked about rejection over the course of this series, uh, Neighbors and Nations, and about how it's one of the most powerful feelings that we can feel as humans. We've also talked about the inverse, about how the feeling of acceptance is also one of the most powerful feelings that we can experience. And listen, I can tell you just as many wonderful stories in my life of when I knew that I had been accepted. Like when in eighth grade, I asked a girl to be my girlfriend and she said, yes. And then in college, when I asked that same girl to be my wife, and she said, yes. I mean, those moments changed who I am. Sometimes acceptance and rejection can live like next door neighbors. Like when I graduated college, a group of friends and I, we all applied to the same seminary, Candler School of Theology, and we were all accepted together. And that felt really good. I was the only one in my friend group that didn't get the scholarship though that a lot of other people got. I'm very grateful for school, but I'm not always great at school. So my wife, Lindsay, and I, we decided that in order to save for school, we would save money. One of the ways that we would save would be to just not use air conditioning, even though we lived in South Georgia, Valdosta to be specific, which I'm pretty sure is on record as the hottest place in the universe. If you've been, you know what I'm talking about. So there was this Saturday afternoon where we're cleaning the house, the windows are open, the fans are running, we're pouring sweat into every fiber of clothing. That, that we are wearing and my phone rings. And on the other side of that phone was a lady from the financial aid office of Candler who very kindly let me know that really because enough people had chosen not to go to Candler that semester, I by default was being accepted into that scholarship program and my tuition was going to be paid. Y'all, we got off the phone and it was 60 seconds of pandemonium and jumping up and down and clapping and shouting and screaming and then Lindsay froze. And she said, wait, I'm gonna go turn on the air conditioning. <laughs> and we cleaned that house with our skin cooled by the beauty of central HVAC. 
and our hearts warmed by the feeling of being accepted. There are few things more powerful in this world than the feelings of rejection and acceptance. And as we finish out this series today, Neighbors and Nations, I wanna share with you one more story about rejection and acceptance and share with you why I believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of radical acceptance that was never intended to stay where it started, but was always meant to reach into our neighborhoods and spread across the nations. The story, it's found in Acts chapter eight. Acts is a fascinating book. It is the definitive document that describes the first 30 years of the Christian movement. And in this story, we're introduced to a man named Philip. He was one of Jesus's disciples. And after Jesus's death and resurrection, he got a name for himself, spreading this gospel of acceptance to people who society and religion had rejected. He was a part of this really cool revival that you can read about in Acts chapter eight, but God calls him out of that revival to a surprising location. And it's in this surprising location that God does something that not only changes the life of one person, but would eventually change the lives of millions of people, thousands of miles away. Today in this story, you and I will witness the very moment that the gospel of Jesus moved from the cities neighboring Jerusalem to the nations across the world. So if you're ready for it, let's dive in. This is Acts chapter eight, starting in verse 26. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone from Jerusalem to worship. He had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So Philip ran up to that chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. Now listen, this is a bit of a peculiar setup to this story. God calls Philip from a spiritual revival to a literal road, a desert road in the middle of nowhere. I mean, have you ever been on a road before and thought, I don't think this road exists on a map. That's where Philip is. And on this road in the middle of nowhere, he sees this Ethiopian official works uh, head of the treasury, works with the queen. This guy's in a chariot. You know that this chariot is just dripping with swag. I'm not the guy that says that sentence, sorry. It's a cool chariot, that's, that's, that's who I am. He comes across this chariot. Imagine you're on this desert, you're on a road in the middle of nowhere and you pull up next to a Maserati and inside the Maserati is a man in an Armani suit. He's got rings on his fingers, Rolex on his wrist. You know that he's wearing one of those colognes that has a commercial where there's a celebrity slow motion walking in the desert. That's this guy. And Philip looking at this chariot thinking, this dude's slick, this guy's legit, works with the queen, has an entourage around his chariot. Philip has gotta be thinking, what is that guy doing here? So he runs up next to the chariot and he hears the um, Ethiopian official not only reading, but reading a prophetic book from the ancient Hebrew people, the prophet of Isaiah. And Philip asks, I don't know, maybe says, what's up, man? My name's Phil, don't mean to bother you. Do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. 
So he invited Philip to come up with and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, I don't know exactly what Philip said. Um, It's not written in the book of Acts. Maybe he shared with him about Isaiah 53, the chapter where that passage comes from, about the prophetic nature of chapter 53 of Isaiah. Maybe he told him his own story of what it was like being a disciple of Jesus. I'd be willing to bet that whatever he said, at some point he said, if you want to become a follower of Jesus, you believe in Jesus's name, you repent of your sin, and then you be baptized. And the reason why I bet that's what he said is because the very next verse says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, well, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? What can stand in the way of my being baptized? That might seem like a simple and logical question, but I wonder why he phrased it like that. Like why phrase it from the negative perspective? What can stand in the way? Another English translation translates that as, what would forbid me to be baptized? Why not ask, can I be? Well, because of the historical context of where this question was asked and who was asking it, it's my belief that that was not a simple question at all. But instead it was a question that was wrapped in pain and courage and a sincere fear of continued rejection. See, we've pointed out that this man was an Ethiopian official, but what we skipped over is that he was a eunuch. Now, using eunuchs was an ancient practice that would allow civilian men to work alongside royal women. Um, The practice meant that you would take a boy before the age of 10 and castrate him and sell him as a slave to a royal family. The idea was you're removing the ability and desire to have an inappropriate relationship. Sometimes males would turn, would become uh, slaves and eunuchs at the same time. Sometimes they had been punished with that procedure previously in life and then later on sold to royal families. And hard as it is to imagine, there are even cases where financially desperate parents would sell their sons to be eunuchs. This procedure would... um, result in a decrease of testosterone. So as these boys grew up to be men, they would just develop differently in muscle mass and in bone structure and in hair patterns. So if anyone got close, they would realize, oh, that guy's a eunuch. I read an author who described the peculiar life of a a eunuch and he said this, he said, eunuchs were often well-educated. They had access to wealth and political influence, yet legally remained slaves. Culturally, they were regarded with respect and at the same time, contempt. So from a distance, this guy might've looked like he had everything, but the closer that Philip got, the more he would have realized that this man likely lived a lifetime of rejection while in service to others. This might be difficult to do, but place your feet in his shoes. Help me answer that question. What, What are you doing here? How did you wind up on this desert road that's leading from Jerusalem Jerusalem to Gaza on your way back to Ethiopia? 
Now, we can't know for sure. It's not written in the book of Acts, but something must have drawn you away from Ethiopia. This is a long journey. Maybe it was the case that all the wealth and prestige and proximity to royalty was not enough to fight the gnawing feeling that at the end of the day, you didn't have a place, that life had provided you everything but a sense of peace and freedom and acceptance. And all you truly knew was rejection. And maybe you had heard that the God of is the, the God, maybe you had heard that the Israelites claimed that their God was the one true God, and maybe that God could give you the peace and acceptance that you'd always longed for. So after getting permission, you and a small group of men take a 1500 mile journey from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. You take with you a hopeful heart and the scripture, the prophet of Isaiah. And imagine four months later, you're stepping off of that chariot onto the courtyard that leads to the temple of the God of the Israelites. And you think maybe it's true that the spirit of their God is inside that temple. The spirit that called Moses and called Abraham that split the Red Sea and gave strength to David. Maybe in there you will find the thing that you have always longed for. And as you walk through that temple courtyard, everything around you is different. Everyone looks different and talks different, acts different, but you pay no mind because you're so grateful that you're finally here. And as you finally take one more step towards that door, hearing people praying and singing on the inside, you're about to cross the entrance and a man stands in front of you and says, excuse me, good morning. Before entering the assembly, do you mind if I ask you a few questions? And you say, absolutely, whatever, whatever you wanna know. And you tell them your story, who you are, where you're from. And out of everything that you tell him, two things seem to stick out. One, you're an Ethiopian, so you're not an ethnic Jew. And two, that you're a eunuch. And after he's finished asking his questions, he says, thank you so much. You're welcome to stay outside today. And you say, no, 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 I, I came all of this way because I wanna be a part of what's happening in there. And he says, I understand, but from this point forward, this assembly is for those who are Jews. And even if you were, we have an explicit rule that says that anyone who has gone under the procedure that you've gone under is not permitted in the assembly. And maybe you lean in and say, listen, man, I didn't, I didn't choose where I'm from. And I definitely didn't choose what happened to me. I would like to go inside. And maybe he looks at you with compassion when he says, I understand, but these are the rules. You are welcome to stay outside today. And it would have hit you like an avalanche. As far as you've come, your journey ends here. You stand silent for a moment and then finally come to yourself and you whisper it out loud, I get it. Back home, I'm nothing but an enslaved Ethiopian eunuch, but here in Jerusalem, I am a rejected Ethiopian eunuch. And covered in embarrassment, you walk back to your chariot and tell your men, we're going home. On this desert road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza, back on, on your way back to Ethiopia, you pull out these scriptures and, and you're combing over them, trying to figure out what you had missed because these scriptures which gave you peace and hope yesterday seem to do little of that today. You look at this passage, this prophecy that says that he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. Before the shears, he was silent in humiliation. He was deprived of justice. Yesterday, you thought, this sounds like someone who understands me. Today, you're not so sure. And as you're going over these scriptures, 
A young Jewish man jogs up next to your chariot and asks you, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And on most days, you would just brush him off and send him on his way. But today you're so raw that your heart speaks before your head can slow it down. And when he asks, do you understand what you're reading? You just blurt out, I don't know, man. I don't know. You know, I thought I did, but today I learned that I don't. And unless someone explains this to me, maybe I'll never understand it. And he climbs up into your chariot and he comes alongside you and he reads this passage with you. And to your surprise, he doesn't tell you about the history of Israel or about the prophet Isaiah or even eunuchs. Instead, he tells you about a man named Jesus. He says that this, that this chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, is a 1,000 year old prophecy that describes in detail the very things that this man, Philip, witnessed as he watched Jesus executed on a Roman cross. He tells you that he followed Jesus as one of his disciples. Him, he and 11 other guys followed Jesus for three years. And over the course of those three years, he watched Jesus show grace and acceptance to people who society and religion had already rejected. In fact, he watched society and religion reject Jesus himself when Jesus made these claims that he was God in the flesh, that he could forgive someone's sins. And Jesus was arrested and then eventually executed. But then three days later, he says that Jesus rose himself from the dead, proving that he had power over sin and death itself, proving that everything that he claimed about himself was true. And now Philip and a small group of people had been tasked with spreading this good news that God was building a new kingdom through this man, Jesus, and it was open to all people for anyone who called on the name of the Lord would be saved. And as you are hearing him say these words, something warms inside your heart. And you think this might be the very thing that you've long to hear your entire life and out of the corner of your eye, you see a body of water and your first thought is, I don't have the courage to ask because I can't be rejected one more time. But you know, you left Ethiopia because you could not find what you were looking for there. So you muster up all the courage that you have. You look Philip in the eye and say, Phil, this sounds great, man. But what about me? Here's a body of water. What can stand in the way? And maybe you're thinking, who is going to stand in the way if I say that I want to be baptized? Very next verse, Acts chapter eight, verse 38 says, and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. To be abundantly clear, the answer to the question, what could stand in the way? The answer is nothing. It doesn't matter that under a dis different system, this Ethiopian would have been from the wrong place and the wrong culture, would have done the wrong things and had the wrong things done to him because in the kingdom that Jesus is building, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in his baptism, he celebrated that God's spirit is no longer relegated to some temple in a far off country, but from this point forward, lives in his own heart. And this is the moment. This is the very moment in human history. This is the moment where the gospel of Jesus moved from the neighborhoods around Jerusalem to the nations across the world. Because the last verse in this passage says that this Ethiopian eunuch official went on his way back to Ethiopia, rejoicing what he had just experienced. And that is a critical sentence for the history of the continent of Africa. 
Did you know that right now, right now, there's somewhere around 700 million Christians across Africa, across the nations? 700 million Christians across Africa. Christianity has been spreading across that continent since the beginning of Christianity. In fact, 1,700 years ago, in 330 AD, Ethiopia declared that Christianity was its national religion because for hundreds of years before that, people had been proclaiming this good news that God had come in the flesh to save all people. In fact, there's even historical documentation about an Ethiopian eunuch who preached the good news of a God who had come in the flesh. I want to read you a quote from St. Irenaeus of Lyons. He's an ancient church father, ancient historian. And in 180 AD, that's a long time ago, in 180 AD, he wrote down these words. He said, this man, Simon Bacchus, the eunuch, I am endlessly fascinated by the fact that history tells us that the man in that chariot's name was Simon. This man, Simon Bacchus, the eunuch, was also sent into the region of Ethiopia to preach that he himself believed that there was one God preached by the prophets, but that the Son of God had already made his appearance in human flesh and had been led like a sheep to the slaughter in all the other statements regarding him. And not long before Simon the Ethiopian the Ethiopian was spreading that news in Ethiopia. He had been sitting in a chariot, wrought with the feeling of rejection when a young man named Philip climbed into that chariot and told him the gospel of acceptance. Historians look at this man found in Acts chapter eight as being the very first Christian missionary to the continent of Africa. And now over 700 million people know the very same good news that was shared with him in that chariot on that day. Do you know what this makes abundantly clear in the book of Acts and for the story of the world? What this makes abundantly clear is that the kingdom, uh, the kingdom that Jesus is building is not, a build, is not a kingdom filled with barriers. In fact, there are no ethnic, no cultural, no national barriers when it comes to the kingdom that Jesus is building. Being a follower of Jesus is not about the community, the culture, or the country that you're from. It's about who you confess. Let me say it this way. Because of the work of Christ, there are no ethnic barriers in the kingdom of God. You see it throughout the book of Acts. Y'all, you see it throughout the world today. Look at us. Look at us. Here, show of hands, who was raised in Jerusalem or outside the Sea of Galilee where Jesus did ministry? Listen, if that's your story, I want to know your story. But for the rest of us, thank God that there was not an ethnic barrier to us experiencing the good news of Jesus. Y'all, we, we are the Ethiopian eunuchs. We're the ones who have no business being here if it weren't for the grace of Jesus. But thank God, there are no ethnic barriers in the kingdom of God that come through Jesus. Now, hear me. I'm not saying that there's no ethnicity in the kingdom of God. Oh, y'all, this is where it gets good. Just like Simon the Ethiopian, we get to bring our ethnicity. We get to bring our culture, our uniqueness, and our diversity because it is in that diversity that we get to witness the beautiful tapestry of an infinite creator who is building a multi-ethnic, multinational, multicultural kingdom that's not held together by our similarities, but it's held together by our shared need and acceptance of the grace of Jesus. So what would have been an ethnic barrier in God's kingdom turns into an ethnic barrier bridge. And this is how an Ethiopian named Simon and a Jew named Philip could share a chariot ride together 
and then walk side by side to the waters of baptism. You know, I experienced this for myself a month ago. My wife, Lindsay, and I went to Kahuria, Kenya on a Crosspoint global trip. Listen, if you've never been on a global trip today, go to crosspoint.tv global and witness with your own eyes the very things that this scripture speaks about. When we got to Kahuria, Kenya, you know what we realized we truly had in common with the Kenyans? Nothing. I mean, really, nothing. Nothing but Jesus. And Jesus was enough. Because what, what would have been cultural barriers had already become cultural bridges for we had all been accepted into the same grace. And this is why I can confidently and boldly stand before you today and say that I believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of radical acceptance that was never intended to stay where it started. Before we finish out today, I wanna make one point of clarification. When I say that the gospel of Jesus is a gospel of radical acceptance, what I don't mean to say is that it's a gospel of infinite approval. I think sometimes we can hear that God loves us unconditionally, which he does, and think that that means that he doesn't care about the life that we live or about the sin that we have. That's not the case. Jesus cares deeply about our sin, so much so that he was willing to die to rescue us from it. And when we accept his free gift of grace, we then call him Lord and look for his will to be placed on our life so that we can experience the life to the fullest that he promises through his will. We go then to his word to find God's will for our life. But let me be clear about this. When you go to God's word to look for his will on your life, it will challenge everything about you. It will challenge your worldview. It will challenge how you see yourself, how you see others, how you see relationships, how you see sex, how you see sexuality. It will challenge how you see grief and how you see celebration, how you see grace and generosity. It will challenge everything as it should. We came to Jesus because we were dissatisfied with what the world had to offer. So although it is difficult on some days, we gladly say that I'll no longer conform to the patterns of this world, but instead be transformed by the grace of Jesus. That might be a whole other sermon for a whole other day, but I want you to know that it's good news that the radically accepting grace of Jesus transforms us from the inside out so that we continue, so that we can continue to grow into the people that God is calling us to be. Okay, can we take a deep breath together? Let's go, inhale and out. We've covered a lot of territory today and I've said it pretty fast. So let's put all the details aside and just look at what happened. At the end of the day, what we witnessed in Acts chapter eight is that a man went from rejected to accepted and not only changed his life, but eventually would be a part of changing millions of other lives in the future. The impact of that moment is, being still, is still being felt to this day. And how did that happen? Because a Jewish man named Philip was bold enough to get close to someone who was completely different than him, listen to him, and then when given the opportunity, shared with him what he knew about Jesus. The story also happened because there was an Ethiopian man named Simon who was bold enough to invite someone into his world, ask him hard questions. And when he got the answers to those questions, he turned those answers into actions. And y'all, this is how God works. 
This is how God moves his story of of grace and redemption across neighborhoods and nations throughout the world. Through people who are willing to take bold steps of faith, regardless of where they are in their journey. It's what you and I are invited to do today. Because of that, we get to be a part of a story that is far beyond what we ever could have dreamt up for ourselves. It's been said in this series that it's not a small world, which is true. It took us 26 hours to get to Kenya. It's not a small world. It's not a small world, but we do serve a big God who invites us into his story of building a multicultural, multi-ethnic kingdom that is held together by his grace. So what am I asking us to do today as we finish out this series, as we point our eyes towards Christmas and begin planning for 2024? How about this? Turn to your neighbor and give them two fist bumps. If you haven't met them yet, tell them your name. Good morning. Two fist bumps. To find another neighbor, give them two more fist bumps. This feels like old church for a second. From now on, when someone gives you two fist bumps, it's a low-key way of encouraging you to be bold. If you want to know what I'm asking us to do as we finish out the series, I'm asking us to be a church who is going to be bold. Be a little bit more like Philip and be bold enough to get close to someone who is completely different than you. Listen to their story, and then and only then, when given the opportunity, share with them what you've learned about Jesus. Be a little bit more like Simon the Ethiopian. Invite someone into your life. Ask them hard questions. And when you find the truth, don't just let it pass through your ears, but turn the answers to those questions into actions. I'm encouraging all of us to be bold. I mean, do we believe this stuff? Do we believe that the gospel of Jesus is a radically accepting gospel that was never intended to end with us? If so, be bold. Be bold enough to live the things that we say that we believe. You remember when I told you that when I realized, or Lindsay and I realized that I had been accepted into that scholarship program, what's the first thing that Lindsay did? She went and turned on the air conditioning. Knowing that we had been accepted changed how we lived. It was true for Philip when he realized that he was accepted by Jesus. It was true for Simon the Ethiopian, and it can be true for you and me as well. So my encouragement to you is to be bold, to daily minimize the gap between what we say we believe and how we behave. And I understand that that request might feel daunting. It might feel daunting for me to ask you to be bold enough to not only live your faith, but to share your faith. Hear me though when I say that I believe this might be the very thing that you need. Because I know some of us here, Your faith feels stale and stagnant and stuck, which is confusing because you go to all the worship services, you sing all the songs, you do all the devotions, but with nowhere for all of that goodness to go, your soul has accidentally turned into a pond when it was always intended to be a stream. I can say this from experience, that when my faith feels stuck, it's often the case that what I don't need is to just consume more information about Jesus. I need living water coming from Jesus, flowing through me and to somebody else. And when I am bold enough to let my faith be lived out, then my faith then comes alive as the good news of Jesus not only comes to me, but goes through me. So what I'm asking us to do today is in the light of this gospel, would we be bold? If you don't know where to start, at the end of this service, we're going to have prayer teams at the front of all of our stages and prayer teams on the chat online. And maybe you find someone on the prayer team and say, would you pray boldness into me? That I would be bold enough to to acknowledge that God has given me certain gifts and I could use those gifts in sharing his good news. Maybe that happens on a Sunday morning. 
Maybe that happens throughout the week. Maybe you find someone on the prayer team and um, say, would you pray that I'm bold enough to every day for the next 30 days, invite someone to come sit with me at a Christmas Eve service? And y'all, you might never know the impact that you make on someone's life who has already decided that they will not come to church on Christmas Eve because they are not willing to go through the pain of sitting by themselves at a church service again. And their story will change when you look into their eyes and say, hey, will you come sit with me? Maybe you feel like Simon the Ethiopian. Maybe you need to find someone on the prayer team and say, would you be bold enough that I invite someone into my life and ask them some hard questions that I've never had the boldness to ask anyone else before? And maybe you begin, you begin taking steps towards baptism. It might feel daunting, but y'all, this is a really good invitation. It's an invitation that we should be excited about. See, while the rest of the world is racing to determine who gets rejected, you and I have been invited into a faith that celebrates who gets accepted. Because anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. As we finish out tomorrow morning, we're gonna, we're gonna celebrate in unity across all of our campuses. We're gonna be here in this room celebrating this invitation to be a part of God's kingdom and to live our faith within it. In this time, I hope that you pray boldness into your own heart. You'll notice this song that we're gonna be led by with our music team. It's sung in both English and in Zulu, which is a language most often spoken in South Africa. That's possible because the good news of Jesus did not stay where it started. And there were no and are no ethnic barriers in the kingdom that Jesus is building. The hope is that we leave this room knowing that the story continues through us and that we would be bold to take the next step in God's kingdom. You never know. Your next bold step might be the thing that not only changes a single person's life, but might actually influence for the good millions of people in neighborhoods and in nations, thousands of miles of where we are right now. And it's not because the world is that small. It's because the God who gives us that invitation is that big. So in the light of the gospel of radical acceptance, would we choose to be bold?
Give thanks to God. 